0: Hello everyone, welcome to episode 35 of Vigilance for the End Times. Our episode tonight is called Becoming an Apostolic People, Part 1, Apostolic Empowerment and Apostolic Vision. Uh, This was a phrase that the Holy Spirit spoke very emphatically to my heart on the evening of May 18th when I was spending some time in prayer. Um... And as such, I believe becoming an apostolic people is a prophetic word and a prophetic exhortation for the body of Christ at this time. A prophetic focal point, if you will, that needs to become our our primary spiritual outlook starting now and going forward. Now, when the Holy Spirit spoke the phrase to me, becoming an apostolic people, the immediate sense that I got was that of the Apostle Paul shaping the New Testament believers in a very specific way. Paul made the statement, I do not fight as one boxing the air. And while the context of that statement was Paul referring to his own level of spiritual self-discipline, it also reveals a dominant character trait that Paul displayed throughout his ministry. He was always very systematic and specific in his approach when it concerned the establishing and building up of the church. Paul said he labored as a wise master builder. He was always very mindful of the spiritual materials he was using to build Christ's church. The emphasis was on quality of an eternal nature, always with a view that what he was building was meant to last for eternity and was worthy of divine rewards. He was always very aware that his greatest rewards lie in building a people of God who would endure to the end, rooted and established in the faith. I believe that the New Testament reflects another spiritual quality regarding becoming an apostolic people, a spiritual quality that is echoed in all of the apostolic letters. There are three key passages that stand out in my mind, and I believe that they make this abundantly clear. So let's see if you can figure out where I'm going with this before I make my actual point. In Galatians 1.12, Paul says, I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The last verse is 1 Corinthians 14.37, where Paul who has been setting things in order concerning operating in the spiritual gifts, says, if anyone considers himself a prophet or spiritual person, then let him acknowledge that what I am writing you is the Lord's command. We here in the West have been operating for a very, very long time under a subconscious notion that everything Paul taught and the teachings that the early church lived by were all in some readily available Bible of some sort. Now, I'm sure we don't come right out and say that to ourselves, but it is part of the religious conditioning that we in the West have been subjected to for decade after decade. We just subconsciously assume that the believers in the early church were just like us, living by words on a printed page. They, in fact, for the most part, were not. True, they had access to the scriptures in the temple, but it wasn't on demand, and it wasn't like they walked around with a copy of it. And yes, the apostle Paul wrote letters from prison that were circulated to the churches, but there's no way we could possibly assume that every single person who called themselves a believer in Corinth, Galatia, Thessalonica, Ephesus, or Philippi, had their own personal copy of Paul's letter stuck in their pocket to read every day. What I'm saying is that the early church functioned and lived mostly by revelation from the indwelling Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that provided Paul the Apostle and the others with revelation concerning the body of Christ and the things that the holy spirit wanted to have functioning within the church. When we read the new testament letters very carefully, it becomes crystal clear that the early church operated by revelation of the holy spirit on a constant and continuing basis. In fact, Paul repeatedly makes reference to the believers ongoing revelation from the Lord pertaining to all things that are freely given to us in Christ Jesus. The prayers that Paul prayed over the believers in Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians are all prayers that God would speak to the believers and minister to the believers via direct revelation by the Holy Spirit. That is is called living by your spirit, your inner man, which is completely opposite of how we here in the West live, which is by our mind, by what we can see, by what we can read with our eyes and assimilate with our mind. And hopefully some of that gets down on the inside of us. God's method as revealed in the New Testament is that he works completely opposite of the way we think. God works from the spirit man outward. That is because God is working to transform us. And that can only be done. I will stress that. That can only be done by the spirit working in our spirit. Spiritual transformation will never come through your mind. Don't care how much Bible knowledge you have in your head, unless that Bible knowledge becomes revelation to your spirit man and begins to transform your inner being, you've just got a head full of Bible knowledge. One of the most longstanding difficulties in Western Christianity is the habit we make of focusing on something and making it the main thing we get fixated on a particular topic and we make that our starting point. When in reality, the starting point is something much bigger and much different. For example, the subject of faith. One could spend a week looking just at all the references of the Apostle Paul regarding faith. Two or three weeks altogether if you spend the time absorbing everything that Jesus taught, on the subject of faith and the Gospels. Now, in the mid to late 1980s, there was a huge movement that emphasized faith, and rightly so because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But as happens with any Bible truth that is emphasized at the expense of other Bible truths, it caused a great deal of imbalance and extremism. We have seen the same distortion when grace is emphasized over other Bible truths. However, and please get this, when you closely read the apostolic letters, you will never find one apostolic truth presented to the exclusion of others. That is the beauty of how God designed his word. There is a profound sense of harmony when all of the apostolic teachings are taken together as a whole. You never see the Apostle Paul teach one thing at the expense of everything else. You never see him emphasize one spiritual attribute or quality at the expense of the rest of them. Instead, they are all presented by the Holy Spirit through Paul in such a harmonious manner that just thinking about that gives me a profound sense of peace. I believe that is because all of it taken together as a whole is a reflection of the very heart and nature of our God. And to refer to something in the New Testament as apostolic is simply to say that it is absolutely, immovably foundational. And it is absolutely Immovably foundational because it is derived from the very nature and heart of God. And this was the very heart and inward motivation of the apostles who hungered and desired to see the very nature of God Himself reproduced in us. It was never about just teaching on faith or just teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was about seeing the very life and nature of God being formed within his people. Another example, people focus on the spiritual gifts, which is a very good focus, but then they make it such a large focus that the true intention and purpose for the gifts becomes completely lost. In order to recover God's full intention, for all his spiritual provisions, such as the gifts of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, and the things of that nature, we must reframe those subjects within the context of God's larger intended purposes, which are of a much broader scope than we normally take into consideration. We must refocus in order to take into account God's ultimate purposes for everything that he has provided spiritually? What are the end results and the eternal objectives God has in mind when it comes to the spiritual provisions he has made for us and intends for us to avail ourselves of? Of course, the highest ultimate purpose And God's heart and mind is our union with him. That is summed up in John 17. Now, how does God intend to achieve that ultimate intention, which is our union with him? Ezekiel spoke of this very thing when he prophesied, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Ezekiel 36, 26. Actually, the three-verse context is profoundly comprehensive, a cap, an encapsulation of God's ultimate intention for his people. It says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. That's regeneration. I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's regeneration as well. And finally, lastly, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully observe my ordinances. That's the speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he has has regenerated us, he has cleansed us, he has renewed or brought to life our spirit within us. Then he says, I'm going to go another step further. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And walking in the spirit is us having a regenerated spirit and then having his spirit within us. Notice that God's full and comprehensive provision for us is designed to restore us to full complete and unbroken fellowship with himself now i love this because the prophet jeremiah speaking the word of the lord adds even more intimate detail to god's ultimate intention he says i will give them my heart to know me that i am the lord they will be my people and i will be their god for they will return to me with all their heart that is jeremiah 24 7 So when related to in this context, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit are now seen as an obvious outworking of God's expressed desire to have an intimate, ongoing relationship with His people that is Spirit-to-Spirit based. It's no longer just a charismatic teaching. No, it was in the Old Testament. In fact, when we truly comprehend the awesome nature of God's intention to have eternal fellowship with us as his people, then all the provisions of the Holy Spirit, including his gifts, are a logical extension and outworking of that. As Jesus said, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. By keeping God's ultimate intention in mind, we also maintain a sense of strong spiritual balance and thus we avoid abuses, misuses, and excesses which lead into error and away from maturity. This is the essence of an apostolic mindset. So again, everything concerning this series of episodes about becoming an apostolic people, that is in a nutshell what becoming an apostolic people revolves around. Having an apostolic mindset of God's ultimate intentions regarding everything that the apostles taught and refusing to allow the enemy to take any one aspect of that and warp it into something else. Another very crucial aspect to the phrase that the Holy Spirit spoke to me in regards to becoming an apostolic people is the aspect of the supernatural, especially with regards to supernatural levels of faith and agape love, which is the love corresponding to God's own nature that endures all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. The God kind of love that never fails. Clearly, the word apostolic reveals a spiritual benchmark in the mind of God in regards to the level of maturity and strength desired for his people. I'll say that again because I believe that is very important to keep in front of us. The word apostolic reveals a spiritual benchmark in the mind of God in regards to the level of maturity and strength desired for his people. I think it will become all too apparent as to why the Western religious system is the disaster that it is because absolutely none of the apostolic benchmarks of the New Testament are emphasized consistently and most of them are completely ignored. After 44 years as a very committed Godward believer, it is clear to me that we must make the quality decision right now to pursue The Apostolic Qualities of the Early Church, which I will outline very shortly, if we intend to become overcomers in the end times, which are upon us right now. So, steps toward becoming an apostolic people. Um, I have listed nine apostolic qualities that the apostles sought to impart and establish in the hearts of believers, but this is by no means an exhaustive list. Also, what I've listed here is not in any particular order of importance. Um, that is because I believe they are all equally vitally important to every believer. Um, I'm pretty certain that we will not be able to cover the nine apostolic qualities I have discovered and meditated on. So this episode will probably end up being at least a three or four part series. I want to give uh, all of the Apostolic qualities as much time and attention as I can for everyone's benefit. So, before I begin elaborating on each quality, I will give them to you here and then get into what the word says on each one. So, the nine apostolic qualities that I have that I'm dealing with here for this particular purpose are apostolic empowerment or apprehending. Apostolic Empowerment, Apostolic Vision, Number 3 would be Apostolic Endurance, Number 4 would be Apostolic Devotion to Jesus, Number 5 would be Apostolic Faith, Number 6, Apostolic Agape Love, Number 7, Apostolic Hope, Number 8, Apostolic Grace, and Number 9, Apostolic Peace. And as you read through the letters of Paul and Peter, you will see repeatedly references to endurance, towards devotion to Jesus, towards vision, um, seeing those things that are not, uh, I don't have that verse in front of me, but uh, faith, a constant focus, a constant focus on walking in love, um, hope, grace, and peace. All of those are emphasized repeatedly throughout all the apostolic letters and they're all interwoven together. So it would be impossible to place any one of them ahead of others. But to start off with for tonight, I'm going to probably cover apostolic empowerment and apostolic vision and hope I don't run out of time. So, The first one, apprehending apostolic empowerment. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than you all. And he said this to a church that apparently spoke in tongues all the time, even when it was, according to his directives, out of order. Remember in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul said, I thank God, I pray in tongues more than you all. Well, one reason why Paul prayed in tongues more than the rest was that he stated in 2 Corinthians 11.28 his daily overwhelming concern for the well-being of all the churches. So Paul wasn't just bragging about praying in tongues more than anyone else. It was out of sheer spiritual necessity, and that is the part we need to grasp. Continually praying in the spirit as a means of spiritual empowerment and strengthening is completely and totally indispensable. And it begins with every one of us making the decision to resolve to continually pray in the spirit as a matter of spiritual habit, regardless of whether or not we feel like it. In fact, I'm pretty sure Paul seldom had days where he felt like praying in the spirit. And 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul said something here. It's like, I don't know how he did this. I don't know how he kept on going. I know what I've been going through with the grief over losing my wife. Paul says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And yet this is the same apostle who said, I thank my God I pray in tongues more than you all. As a man who has been enduring heart crushing grief for over 19 months, I don't think Paul would have ever made it without praying in tongues. If I had not spent the last 19 months praying in the Spirit and focusing on the Word, I don't know where I would be right now. Also, it was against the very backdrop of spiritual persecution and the onslaught of false teachers in their midst that the Apostle Jude's spiritual counsel was this very thing. And I think that that alone places praying in the Spirit at the very top of the list Of our spiritual priorities. I mean, after all, you go to the doctor for a critical health condition and the doctor gives you his prescription, it would really be most foolish to try to sidestep that which is prescribed to do something else to remedy your situation. Now, here's a little something free of charge from someone who's been a believer and in the word for almost 44 years. Um, As I was working on tonight's podcast, I was looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians 12. And what I was looking at specifically was one verse in particular, 2 Corinthians 12.12. Now, I'm not sure how many of you are aware of this, but the number 12 is symbolic of the government of God. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, and so on. So I find it very significant that Paul states here, in defending his apostleship, which is part of the government of God, that one of the divine marks of approval of his apostleship was fulfilling his ministry with great perseverance. Many have signs, wonders, and miracles attending their ministry, but if they do not have the ability to endure, then they will not fulfill their ministry and the word perseverance here is also translated as endurance and patience in the king james we see that in luke 8:15 where it says bring forth with much patience luke 21:19 in your patient endurance you will gain your souls and finally in colossians 1:11 which ties in beautifully with our overall theme of this podcast being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have full endurance and patience. So being empowered by the Holy Spirit through praying in the Spirit gives us access to his divine power and strength within our inner man to enable us to have fullness of endurance and patience. I'll say that again. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit through praying in the Spirit gives us access to his divine power and strength within our inner man because that's where the Holy Spirit is. But his power does not automatically become ours just because he's there. As we pray in the Spirit, we lay hold with the Holy Spirit. He lays hold with us. That's Romans 8. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But we pray with the Spirit through groanings, etc., to enable us to have fullness of endurance and patience. And this was precisely, this was precisely how Paul walked out and fulfilled his ministry by continually being empowered by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Colossians 111 could be the key verse for everything we're discussing right now. Uh, number two, Apostolic Vision. And I could go back and elaborate a little bit more on the first subject, which was apostolic empowerment, but I don't want to lose sight of the rest. Um, So apostolic vision number two, um, the phrase um, from something that Paul was saying, I was reading earlier, these light and momentary afflictions. Well, here's some of Paul's light and momentary afflictions. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. In my frequent journeys, I have been in danger from rivers and from bandits, in danger from my countrymen and from the Gentiles, in danger in the city and in the country, in danger on the sea and among false brethren, in labor and toil and often without sleep, in hunger and thirst and often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from these external trials, I daily face the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's response was derived from seeing all of these things from the heavenly perspective of the Holy Spirit. When he said, therefore, we do not lose heart. I mean, keeping in mind everything that he just said he has been been subjected to, it's just mind-blowing to me. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. How's it being renewed? Praying in the spirit for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, that is from second corinthians four Verses 16 through 18. I'll say that last part again. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So if our trials are perceived as permanent or never ending, then we lose hope and our spiritual strength is drained. But if we fix our eyes on what is unseen and eternal then we are able to maintain our hope and by praying in the spirit our spiritual strength is maintained paul also makes this declaration in romans eight eighteen. he says i consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us what glory is paul referring to he says in Romans eight seventeen through 19, and if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. The glory that awaits us is that of our heavenly inheritance in Jesus, reserved in heaven for us. The glory that will be revealed in us, where he says we will be glorified with him. So the constant challenge is to keep our eyes fixed on what is currently invisible and to not lose hope because of the trials that are visible, because they're only temporary. Our measurement for temporary is like, well, we can microwave something pretty fast. To us, that's a temporary thing. But in heaven's eyes, in eternity's eyes, temporary is what is already destined to come to an end, which is suffering, which is, like Paul said, our present sufferings. The word present there, it has a time limitation on it. These sufferings have an expiration date, like the milk in your fridge. So they don't have forever. Once they hit the expiration date, which is when he comes back, it's done. There's no more suffering. So like I was just saying, the constant challenge is to keep our eyes fixed on what is currently invisible and to not lose hope because of the trials that are visible. One key to maintaining apostolic vision is to make sure that our inner self is being renewed day by day by the Spirit, as Paul stated. Where he said in Second Corinthians 4, he said, though our outer self is wasting away, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The invisible Holy Spirit residing within us, in our spirit, our inner man empowers us to maintain an abiding awareness of our equally invisible inheritance in heaven and his very presence within us is the guarantee that our hope is not in vain. I'm going to say that again, and if anybody wants a transcript for this, I'd be happy to send it to you because some of these things are, are so key to walking out these end times. you you got to put this on your, your Holy Ghost keychain. These are keys to walking out the end times. The invisible Holy Spirit within us, residing within us, our spirit, our inner man, he empowers us to maintain an abiding awareness of our equally invisible inheritance in heaven. That's why it says he's the deposit. And his very presence within us is the guarantee that our hope is not in vain. I remember a long time ago that a Bible study um, was right after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of our home groups at the church in uh, Jacksonville. Uh, there was this young guy just a a young a young believer he's only been he'd only been born again a couple of months and uh, but he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and so we were having our nice little meeting and someone asked um, hey Danny what does praying in tongues mean to you and I will never forget his answer this is 1983 and I've never forgotten this because it hit me right between the eyes this person says hey Danny what does praying in tongues mean to you and he said praying in tongues reminds me of the indwelling presence of the holy spirit bam i mean that is the best explanation i have ever heard praying in tongues reminds me of the indwelling presence of the holy spirit and if we remain continually aware of the holy spirit's indwelling presence then we will be able to maintain our heavenly heavenly perspective through whatever trials may come. A major key to remaining continually aware of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence is by continually praying in the Spirit. And again, I personally believe that every one of us making the decision to resolve to continually pray in the Spirit, even if we don't always hit that target, just making the decision to try will be far more beneficial than we could possibly imagine, especially in light of the end-time events looming on the horizon. Now, at this point, I'm sure that many of you can see that these particular steps toward becoming an apostolic people are very much interconnected. For example, one of the partial verses that I just quoted was also part of a passage that i just mentioned having to do with apostolic vision the truth is and it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone all of these apostolic traits that were part of the early church because the apostles were the apostles embodied these traits and imparted them are rooted and grounded in unseen spiritual realities A truly apostolic people, which is what we are and are striving to become more of, is simply in its purest sense a people who are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. The very fact that Paul supported himself and others by tent making is quite prophetic. I mean look, Jesus handpicked the chief as a as a chief apostle, a man who made tents for a living. In other words, at the core of our being, we are meant to be a people whose true enduring primary focus is never on the seen, visible things of this world, but all the unseen eternal realities that we are going to inherit, unseen realities that are very soon to become seen realities in this present world, beginning with the millennial reign a 1,000-year age where all of the unsaved inhabitants of this world who survived the tribulation will see that the God we always spoke of and the kingdom that we always testified to is in reality the one true kingdom. And they will see it with their unbeliever eyes as much as we have seen it with our believing hearts all this time. That is what we need to hold on to. And quite honestly, it is that particular vision that strengthens my faith probably more than anything else. Knowing that at some point in time in the very, very near future, the very real kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be finally set up in Jerusalem. And from there, he and all of us will rule over the nations for a thousand years. Every single unbelieving nation, every single unbelieving queen, king, prime minister, president, governor will finally see with their own naked eyes the risen Lord Jesus ruling from Jerusalem over every man, woman, and child on the planet that survived the tribulation, and we will be ruling and reigning with him over the same presidents, prime ministers, governors, etc. And they will be answering to Jesus through us. Personally, I think we would be profoundly well-served to spend as much time as possible meditating on that particular reality, researching it through the Word, and building a visual, mental, and spiritual image of it in our hearts, because that is the reality we look to inherit it. That is the reality, that is the spiritual reality that all of the Old Testament prophets saw and spoke of. The eternal kingdom that god is going to establish on this earth that is what they endured by seeing they endured as seeing that kingdom that is invisible so that is all we have for tonight um part two we're going to discuss apostolic endurance if we suffer with him we will also reign with him the other scripture where it says moses endured seeing him who is invisible And also in part two, apostolic devotion to Jesus being among the company that longs for and looks for the bridegroom's appearing. And thank you all for listening and God bless.